water (laughs) (laughs) yeah welcome welcome to our well well who knows where this episode will lie this episode will be somewhere in the mix but this is our first time being together to record in quite a while so yeah we're gonna be doing some star trek for you um yeah colin brought us this movie um and the theme song is about the extent of my Star Trek knowledge. Uh, so, I don't know. Do you want to take the lead on this one, Colin? Uh, I can. Um, so, Star Trek First Contact, also known as Star Trek VIII, uh, came out in 1996. It's directed by Jonathan Frakes. Who's um, the actor who plays Riker. Who, yes, plays yeah. Commander Riker, but he also is a very prolific Star Trek yes. director. He directed lots of episodes of Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. and Voyager. Um but it tells the story of the Enterprise crew uh, traveling through time to stop the Borg from assimilating humanity before they achieve first contact with alien races, namely the Vulcans, who we will see. Um, that's as much as I really want to like synopse without us getting into uh, spoilers, because yeah. we're going to get this. But I love this movie and it's not just because it came out when i was 13 and like i grew up living and breathing star trek i think this is probably (laughs) the best star trek movie i mean a lot of people will say wrath of khan and i can make an argument for wrath of khan but i think this is a better film i think this is like more efficient i think it's bigger more bombastic like a a cooler movie um I feel like it's the best Star Trek movie that's still like a star trek movie um yes because i mean (laughs) Coming from my background with a lot of ignorance towards Star Trek, you know, I watched like a few reruns when I was younger. Um, actually, I when I, I started to watch through on Netflix, and I got to like the point right after uh, Picard is returned from being. So, so yeah, you, you got up to Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was like honestly like probably like one of the last episodes I watched was like the big, cause it was like the first episode of that new season, season. Yep. where he's just been brought back and is kind of like dealing with the PTSD. He, he has the, yeah. He has the traumatic experience and he goes and he sees his brother and there's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the new Star Trek movies are thoroughly entertaining, but from, they are definitely a departure from what Star Trek yeah. is. J.J. Abrams flat out said <laughs> that Star Trek, when he was directing it, that Star Trek is too philosophical, right? And so yeah. that he was taking it in this whole new direction, which is basically space adventure, which is great. But I think which things, is fine. It's fun. fine. Yeah. But the things yeah. that <clears throat> those of us who are Star Trek fans love about it is the philosophical questions at the heart of each episode. Yeah, it's the whole thing of like you want like William Shatner or Patrick Stewart to get on the soapbox and give the grand speech about like oh what the definition of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you should be a new Star Trek captain because that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so it's exciting to uh, I I agree with everything that Colin said because I watched this movie. I remember the movie theater i saw it in with my whole family next generation was the one and the simpsons were the two shows my family would actually watch as like together as a unit i have such serious nostalgia goggles for this movie that i am having a really hard time separating that out um i had the first con convention i ever went to was a star trek convention and Sarah, uh, and where was it? Saratoga Springs, upstate New York. We had to drive two and a half hours to get there because it was the only thing close to us. The only other nerds were two and a half hours away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that I'll say about nostalgia glasses is like, yeah, feel free to wear them. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's like, we're, we're not here again to <laughs> tell people definitively and objectively that a movie is good or bad because. No, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. <laughs> because Whether that's like literally not right possible. Right or wrong. <laughs> So yeah, 
yeah, feel free to like share your nostalgia goggles on this movie. But, but I'm really the, interested in, in hearing your perspective yes. because you're somebody who like is very new to Star Trek and like this isn't in your bones the, the, it, the way it is for Tara and I. So I, I just like general impressions of this movie I want to get. Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, like the cast is stacked. Like, like there's so many people in here that I was like, oh damn. Like I was watching the credits, I was like, oh damn. Oh damn. <laughs> Uh, like, like Alfrey Woodard, Alfrey uh, Woodard, Adam Scott is Adam in this. Scott. Adam Scott <laughs> is in this movie. <laughs> um, James Cromwell. Yeah, yeah James Cromwell, like, <laughs> who also is like an old Star Trek standby. Yes. Like, but yeah. And then uh, I was like, "Oh, that's Ray Liotta," and it was like, "Oh no, that's not Ray Liotta." And it was uh, Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough, yes. <laughs> who is another one of those character actors? Yes. Where you're like, "Oh yeah, Neil McDonough's in fucking everything." Yeah. Yep. I do. Remember, he's been in like. He was like around like a lot in my youth, and I just remember like that being like one of those like one of those people that like just like kind of sparked yep. a little bit of something in there. Like oh oh well, it... like, those steely blues, those like, steely blue eyes. <laughs> that jawline. Like come Are you on, looking at me with those eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Look into the camera. Look into if we're eyes. talking about Neil McDonough and him him stern a little something, let me put a, one of my little pieces of research that um, was really fun. Was that originally Lieutenant Hawk? was meant to be a gay character. Like, they shot scenes where Lieutenant Hawk was, like, openly gay and, like, all this stuff. But all of that got cut by the studio. Mm. So, like, it was going to be, like, in 1996, before Star Trek had openly gay characters, they were going to have their first openly gay character, and then... I'm so glad that that isn't happening anymore. I'm so glad that everything is so much better now. I'm so glad you know, we've got, like, openly queer, like, characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) I'm so glad that Disney is just, like, you know, Like, there still isn't any sorts of studio studio interference with them having (laughs) gay people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, so yeah, first takes. Uh, yeah, I was like, this is a Star Trek movie. I I knew what to expect going in, uh, and I think that this fulfilled that like in a really in a really good way. Um, there's a lot of things where I feel like it's interesting how Star Trek is able to both uh, progress like plot lines in like a kind of matter of fact, like fairly like quick way. While at the same time, like feel like still kind of like stretching out like the the emotion and again, like you said, that philosophy mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of like having these be like these moments where it does take itself like kind of slow, but then the plot lines do kind of like move along at a pretty decent pace within this movie, um, and so I think that there's a really good, interesting uh, balance on that. On that, Yeah, way. you're right, because in the first 15 minutes, we've had, Picard has a flashback, the Borg have invaded, they travel through time, right? Yeah. That's in the first 15 I mean, minutes. We, we have the Battle of Sector 001 in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's... So, yeah, I, I think it's really, it's a really interesting thing of, like, all right, That's let's get point. into this, uh, and then once we get like, into, like, what the main part of the movie is, it definitely, like, takes its time and things still progress at a decent pace. Um, but yeah, it's it's I like that. I like that Star Trek mentality of again not having to pack everything full of uh, you know, the next explosion or the next like point of conflict like immediately. It's it does take it time it's take, takes its time with that. Yeah, and the considerable lack of lens flare, which apparently JJ Abrams <laughs> in the new movies I thinks don't is understand a the cinematic lens flare technique. thing. It's Oof. Endless lens flare. And and not, they didn't shoot it that way. It's added in post. Yeah. It's conf- uh, anyway, we're not talking anyway, about the movie. I, Moving stay on. Stay tuned for future episodes where we are going to talk about some of these JJ movies. Uh, another thing I did love was a sarcastic Picard. Like when they're talking about like when Starfleet Command is like telling him like you know we don't want you here and he's like oh yes like it was kind of like oh in all their wisdom starfleet command has decided that we shouldn't go the the most experienced like starfleet shouldn't be at this not not just that the the fucking flagship flagship. like like, not the first off the line sovereign class ship but like A sovereign class starship with the most experienced crew, like the command, like the captain who knows the most about the Borg of anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So I think that so the Star Command doesn't want him there because uh, they're, he's they're been about, tainted yeah. by the Borg before, and so they're afraid of. They're afraid Locutus will come back. Yeah, and you know, from a 
perspective of someone whose D&D character has been possessed by an evil entity <laughs> and had their here. body hijacked, I can say, you know, it's a valid concern. It's a valid concern. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they do. Like, it, I, I get, again, where both of these viewpoints are coming from so I don't really see anyone being in the wrong there and they did kind of like obey the command until it was like up until the well, point where up it's like until they, like Starfleet is getting their asses kicked like yeah. they did at Wolf 359 and they're like oh we've learned nothing and so now like Picard is like okay I'm gonna come in and rescue everybody so yeah I, I, I think that it, it does a, jo- a good job of like Starfleet or is it Star Command or Starfleet Starfleet Command Starfleet, Starfleet Command Starfleet Command yes uh, they don't really come off as like bad guys because yeah they have, they have a very legitimate reason to worry, uh, and as we see you know Picard you know hasn't fully gotten over or recovered from the trauma of being Locutus either so yes which which we will get into and and one of the things I'm excited to talk about is like the like come to Jesus scene of like yes. Picard and yeah. Alfred Woodard. The so. line must be drawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get there. And I, it's also, there's a, I feel like I'm talking a lot for not knowing anything about this. No, but, but that's the whole point is because point. You know, Tara and I can talk forever. Ever about this movie. Uh, but it's also interesting, like having got to the point where I was at watching the show and then this taking place, like I think like six years after yes. that yeah. happened um, how much like of that? How much change has happened? Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Jordy got LASIK. Yep. Oh, that's <laughs> his own ship. But oh, yep. all of these things have happened that are like it. It feels like there's like not a lot of time has passed. Like up until you see these moments of where these characters are at, mm-hmm. and you know what they look like because they're definitely like a marked difference from where they were mm-hmm. previous to this. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting how. The story, like, I had enough of an experience with the original series to understand, like, pretty much everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. In, but there were still all of these things that happened in between this point and that point to where I was like, oh, I wonder what happened there. I want to go back and watch this now. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to go back and go watch take it. back up TNG and, like, <laughs> yeah. watch some more. Yep. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, I... I have a lot of notes. I, I took a lot of notes, so but like, I. And a lot of it is like into the spoiler realm. So I don't yeah. know. Um, Should we just? Do yeah. It? It's. I mean, this movie is twenty. Yeah, years it came old. out in 1996. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're, we're fine. Like we can take a little break here, and then we can come back, and we will have a full deep dive with spoilers all included. And we're back. We've got more Star Trek for you. More Picard. More Jordy. Jordy LaForge? Jordy LaForge. Jordy LaGeorge. Jordy LaGeorge. So, I think that could be your cosplay character. Jordy LaGeorge. I think we're going to figure this out. Yes. It'll be like the um, anti-verse. Like. Yep. <laughs> oh, Mirror, Verna, Mirror Universe. <laughs> which they never did a TNG episode in the Mirror Universe. They, which would be, no, they did. Which would be really cool. Yeah. Like Mirror Universe Jordy. Let's okay. make it happen. Okay, we now have our fan fiction episode that we are writing. Together. <laughs> there are, there's plenty of mirror universe novels yes. of the, of TNG. They never made an episode. Um, but my main criticism of this movie is there's no Guinan. Like, why is Guinan not in this movie? And I have a nerdy, like, technical answer, and I have a story answer, which are like the what, best things I come was, up with. What was she doing then? Was, was, was she... Whoopi doing, like, Sister, Sister Act? Act? Yeah, Sister she, Act 2? Yeah, she, was, she was probably making Sister Act 2. Yeah. She was starring um, in her own movie. <laughs> but Whoopi said, like, what can I say? I wanted to do do it. Like, anything about the Borg, I couldn't think they could do it without my character, but apparently they can, so oh. they didn't need me. So what? Who- Whoopi Goldberg Whoa. was not asked and she was like, "Why the hell am I not in this?" Yeah, like she's isn't that like her like her like her whole character? Back, yeah, like, her way. her species was like set adrift by the Borg. It was like this entire deal. So the only story element I can think of uh-huh. is we need the scene with Alfred Woodard where she like confronts him in the ready room and compares him to Captain Ahab and does this whole like John Luke bluffed him. She's like, "No, the, you the, broke the, your this, little this ship. really great yeah. scene." Yeah. 
which we can't have if Guinan is there. No, but but because Guinan Guinan this... immediately goes to him and says, "Jean Luc, you've mm-hmm. gone off the deep end," and he's like, "Oh, you're Guinan." You're right. Yeah. Because yes. <laughs> yeah, he does that all the time, right? And she goes over and says, you've gone off the deep end. But I think they still could have had that as dramatic a thing with that, you know, yes. between those two. Uh, but but we're also robbed the scene of Lily and Guinan. Yes. Yes. Which would be so awesome. Like the Lily and Guinan. So that's the only story reason I can think of for no Guinan. The only technical nerdy reason is like, Okay, maybe we're on the Enterprise E now. It's a different ship. Maybe the Sovereign class starship doesn't have a 10 forward. <laughs> doesn't have a 10 forward is not a reason. <laughs> 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 not, not well, I mean, that's her job. Guidance. She's the bartender. <laughs> I so. know. I know. Well, I feel like, um, you know, the 90s was pretty good at having like one of everything yes. in terms one of like lady. people like you know like they're they're very good at like doing that like let's have one of everything yes. and then like only one yeah, we're drawing the line there right that, that's all we get so maybe like yeah because I don't yeah I have yeah once you give that like I don't understand why they wouldn't have had Guinan in here she's so central she's, to the Borg story of the Borg yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah that would have opened up some really interesting you know background some really good like emotion mm-hmm. emotional moments and potential for that for Whoopi which would have been awesome too uh is she in the, any of the movies or she's in generations she's, the one before she's in generations okay. mm-hmm. she's in seven yep and then i i have never finished either of the other next gen movies because they're, honestly the other next gen movies are bad they're bad so um, question. she's not in either of them I, from my memory yeah so with the numbers uh is this like Star Trek Eight is this the, like within the TNG Star within Wars? all Star Trek, within all Star, all Star Trek, Trek movies? movies okay. This is Star Trek Eight, eight. Okay. and there's the rule, the even odd rule. Do you want to explain? The, that? There is the even odd rule, which is kind of true. It's not that true. Like the the, the rule is that odd numbered Star Trek movies are bad, and even numbered Star Trek movies are good. Um, Star Trek Three is not as bad as people think. Star Trek One is. Uh, to me, one of my favorites. So that Star Trek One is in defense is of episode boring, about that. <laughs> but it's it it's not bad. It's boring. It's more two thousand one um, than Star yes, Trek. Yes, it's much more two thousand one. Yeah. Um, but like Star Trek, what ten? Like uh, is that the J.J. Abrams one? No, it would be like so nine would be um, the one with Tom Hardy. No, that's Star Trek 10. That's like, 10. Insurrection okay. is bad. Yes. <laughs> so like that like kind of deflates the even odd thing yeah. because 3 isn't that bad. 5 is terrible. Um like the it, the even odd thing does kind of hold up but it but not really. It's kind of more of a joke thing than it, it is. It's like more a of a nerd joke thing, than yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so okay. <laughs> Going back to the only having one of everybody, though. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Can I, can I go there for a oh, second? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Because, like, yet again, Troy and Beverly have nothing to do, right? <laughs> like, so yeah. many seasons. And poor Worf has a little bit to do. Well, and Worf, Jordy has a little bit they, to they do. They kind of shoehorn Worf into being there. Yes. Because Worf isn't, like... Worf is on Deep Space Nine at this point. And, like, it's a really cool thing. And one of my favorite things of, like, watching this movie for the first time since I've, like, rewatched Deep Space Nine was, like, oh, fucking awesome. We get to see the Defiant doing what it was designed to do. We're seeing the Defiant fighting the Borg. And the Defiant is getting its ass kicked. And Adam Scott is at the helm. And then Worf is in command of the Defiant. He's like, all right, today's a good day to die. Prepare for ramming speed. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> but then they, like, beam Worf aboard the Enterprise. And we're like, okay, so now we have Worf on board. Because Worf, we, we need have to have Worf, even, though, he, yeah, even yep. though he's not an officer on this ship. Yep. So he has some things to do, sort of, right? Yes. It's that for me, like looking back at this, it, that it falls into what a lot of the episodes would do, where you the most interesting characters tend to be Picard, Data, and then everybody else is kind of there because Picard and Data. Picard is obviously Patrick, Stu- portrayed by Patrick Stewart, a Shakespearean trained actor. Uh, 
very commanding um, acting presence. And then Data is similarly uh, trained, but uh, different type of training. But that his whole role on the show is the what does it mean to be human, right? Yeah, yeah. As the mirror for the humans, right? So everybody else is kind of periphery. Like they don't really matter all that much. Even even Jonathan Frakes, even um, Riker doesn't yeah. really have that much yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, even though he's like there, he's got to get convinced, uh, you know, Zephram Cochran to make the warp flight and all this mm -hmm. stuff it's the b story in this movie is very much a b story it's very much like an episode yeah right? yeah like, like an this, episode. this, this movie is like a, is a good episode <laughs> of star trek yes yes a, a good fun episode and i would say that that's the one moment troy has something to do is when and this is total fan service is when she's drunk i and, love right, yeah. time we don't have Right, and this yes. very kind of like obviously, you know, Captain Kirk over the top acting, <laughs> which is, again, there's so much fans. I think the film does a really good job of being a standalone movie for people who aren't fans and then sprinkling it with so much fan service. So much fan service <laughs> yes. for the people who are. Yes. yes. Can we can we go through some of the fan service? So Troy's drunken speech. So we've got Troy being drunk. We've got the Defiant doing the thing that the Defiant was meant to do. Yep. We've got um, Jordy has LASIK finally. We've got <laughs> Jordy, Banana. which was like something LeVar Burton wanted from the very beginning. It was like, can't we get like ocular implants or something? Like I'm I'm literally doing mass acting yeah. all the time. Like I, and, I'm, like my eyes are hidden behind this thing and like he and, he that, and that thing was... looks exactly because I know I used to do it all the time as like a, a hairband hair, a, yes a banana clip my, my mom 80s. had that hairband yes. I would put it on my face and run around the house so pretending to be Jordy like, so did the, I it was... so did I <laughs> Um, that Borg sounds Swedish, right? That that's a yes. Joke. <laughs> I, I I wrote that one down too. It was like, oh yeah, like it's an end table you get at IKEA. Like exactly. I went out and bought a Borg. Yep. Uh, the nerdiness of that, you know, one of the distinctive features in the show of the Borg is that they're in this cube, right? And we've never seen a ship that's cube-shaped. But in this one, only is there a cube, but then it shoots out There's a sphere! There's a sphere! <laughs> oh, I mean, we have, like, the fan service of they activate, like, they're running away from the Borg and they activate the EMH. Yes. And, and the EMH goes on to do even further fan service by saying, I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. Yes. Which is something that the EMH does all the time. Like, there's so many lines in Voyager where the EMH is like, yeah, I'm a doctor, not a whatever. Or this is a sick bay, not a... Exactly. <laughs> and like, then, all these McCoy jokes. All these McCoy jokes. <laughs> and on top of that, there's a joke, uh, not even a joke, but really uh, that the EMH in Voyager, obviously, for people who've seen that joke, goes on to play a role similar to Data of, like, can does this EMH, is it... Yeah, he's he's a hologram, but like, does he like like is it a sentient being? Like, yes. because it's a computer program, but so, like, so he has a there's a joke in there where he's like, you know, like I don't know, this isn't in my programming, right? Which is the inverse of what happens to the Voyager um, EMH. Is yeah. that like holodeck sequence like a callback? I feel like that's something where yes, is that like a familiar yes, yes, because okay. like the holodeck sequence where he goes in and he does this whole like Dixon Hill novel. Nose or he goes like in that. like well, that's like a throwback to the original series where Picard loves these like private detective novels oh, like yeah, set in yeah. the 20s and no, no no this is this one this holograph uh, simulation is The Big Goodbye which is a smash up of um, two Raymond Chandler novels the long goodbye and the big sleep, right? And so then this one's called oh, the, uh, the Tara big goodbye. Bringing the <laughs> nerd. Because and this will go back to I'll talk about this in a second, but it's written by Raymond Chandler, who even though he was writing in the U.S. for most of his life and about the U.S. was himself British, and so this is this um, Dixon Hill is this fictional character who's kind of. Um, Raymond Chandler-esque in terms of the novels that he writes. So, uh, and going back to what you were saying about like being young and having inklings, I remember the, when seeing Alfred Woodard in uh, that dress and oh, that yeah. gown yes. and dancing. I was like, hello, hello. <laughs> no, I love those earrings too. Like yes. that she had. It was, uh, yeah. yeah. That was this, like stunning. Yes. This movie has um, Patrick Stewart in both a tux and a tank top. Yeah. I'm in favor of this movie. <laughs> Patrick Stewart in that tank top is one of those things where I'm like, oh my God, I see why this, like he is a hunk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah. just to oh. reiterate some more fan service things. Oh, like, wait, hang on. Go... But there's one more fan service yeah. in that scene. Oh yeah, So that uh, when... They enter the bar. Uh, it's the actor who plays Neelix, Neelix. Yeah. from Voyager, who's like the bouncer. He's like, you got to get out of here. And who gets beat up by the um, Borgs. So that's oh. another little 
yeah, little um, fan service moment <laughs> in there. Yep. But we have like Nurse Ogawa who has like no lines, mm-hmm. but like she like makes a brief appearance in this. Um, they have like throwaway lines, like in the 21st century, the Borg are still in the Delta Quadrant, mm-hmm. which is just for people who are watching Voyager. And yes. they're like, oh yeah, like the- uh, that's where they are. <laughs> yep. Uh, Barkley, Lieutenant Barkley. Lieutenant Barkley, which gets to one of my notes from my research things was that um, Dwight Schultz, who plays Lieutenant Barkley, was three hours late because he got lost. And crew members had to go pick him up, <laughs> which is so like fitting to the character of yeah, Lieutenant Barkley. Of Barclay. course, he got lost on the way to the set. <laughs> like, of course, Dwight Schultz got lost, and like somebody had to come find him. And uh, I love that Barkley is, you know, uh, his kind of like socially awkward, kind of really bright, but and you always kind of feel empathetic for Barkley, but then he can also be a real jerk sometimes, and him just fan servicing over um, Zepro. And there's a a throwaway line where the Borg queen, which we'll get into, um, the Borg queen is talking to Data about like sexuality. He's like, well, I'm fully functional. I have all these things, which is a a reference to to, like the time that he had sex with Tasha Yar. (laughs) Well, I love like, I love how the Borg plan is to convert Data through orgasms. Yes. Because it's like the yes. first one where they put that like first yeah. little patch of skin on him and she like blows on it and he's just like is <laughs> it stimulating? <laughs> and then they literally act and then they literally have sex. And but that's, that's a great transition into like actually kind of talking about the Borg Queen, which I mean, as much as I conceptually have a problem with the Borg Queen, and I did when I was thirteen and I still do, like the whole thing is like the Borg are a hive mind. It's like so the idea of there being a collective leader, like it, like a queen to the Borg, stupid. is conceptually really stupid yeah. to me. Like, <laughs> and it's something that the studio added because they thought it was well, too it, it's also a thing. That, a, but a specific the, villain. It, it, yeah. it is a studio thing, but it's also the writers because the writers were trying to write it as the Borg central computer, mm-hmm. and they couldn't find a good way of writing dialogue right. for the Borg central computer. So they ended up coming up with the idea of like a Borg queen, which. Fine. Fine. We'll do this. Yeah. Like it, it betrays the entire concept of what the Borg is. But Alice Krieg is so good in this part that, uh, like, I don't mind the Borg Queen. And like being the token straight guy on this podcast, I will talk about like Alice Krieg has this bizarre thing of like you are disturbed by the fact that you find her really sexually arousing. Yes. Like, it's, it's not like that she looks that good. It's that she has this thing in her per- performance. Like she has this like sexuality that she brings to this role that like is so, voice yes, so intriguing and so disturbing by the fact that, like, oh yeah, she's like the Borg. Like she's going to like bring you into this, like turn you into a mindless drone, but I don't care because she's so sexy. Because she's so <laughs> wet. Why is she wet? <laughs> Yes. Like that, Why uh, is she wet? <laughs> okay, what's it? It's uh, that Thirty Rock quote where it's like Jenna's talking with Liz and she's like, "I have a secret weapon," and Liz is like, "Please don't, don't say, say she's my, my sexuality." sexuality. <laughs> Please don't say my sexuality. Oh. And she does have a secret weapon. It's her sexuality, right? She's yeah. all over Data. She's all over Picard. They're, they have their little moment where I remember you, look you to such a face. Yeah. face. We're going to reign together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, I, I have as my note, queen equals sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, that again, it's, it's, dis, it's a disturbing sexy, which is why it's It so is. It's, and then that's why yeah. it's so intriguing. Is it like, you're like, attracted by her but like you shouldn't be and so it's this whole like bizarre thing that like really messes with your head yes um i also one of my favorite lines in the movie which i mean i finished the line in my head because you know they should have gone there but they just didn't it was when uh they like do the whole like mag like satellite thing where they like Mm -hmm. shoot the Borg off into space. The interplexing beacon. Yeah. That. Yes. That's <laughs> when they, they detach the main deflector dish. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Worf like shoots the uh, the yeah. dish and he's like assimilate this. And I was like the obviously the finish of that line should have been bitch. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> why did they not just go that next step? Assimilate this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, 
that brings up a good thing. Like, there's no swearing in Star Trek. In there this. was, there was, uh, at one moment, I'm pretty sure they said something. There was one curse word in this whole thing. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, I think it's when he's, like, shooting the Borg or something, right? Or maybe no, I think Zephram Cochran maybe has oh, a swear maybe word. Oh, yeah. he swears, yeah. yeah. Okay, and, and that's to distinguish him from everyone else who, there's no name-calling, there's no swearing, there's no sex in this universe for the most part, right? This is a very sexless world. They so. move beyond all of it. Exactly. Well, well Riker there is, like, <laughs> Riker fucks Riker's everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's um, true. But we never, like, see Like, it, if you, if you right? watch like, Next Generation, the like, Ryza, there's a whole sex planet. planet yeah. That goes to a lot. Well, I feel like, like, and there's, I feel like it's this thing where, what's the line? Oh. And I wrote in my notes, I was like, maybe it's the half bottle of wine. But when Picard said the acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives, I nearly broke down. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what a world that must be. And, like, I, and I wrote down the second half of that speech yeah. where he says that we work to better ourselves and humanity. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this kind of gets to why I've been watching so much Star Trek lately. Yes. Yeah. It but, is like ever since 2016 um i've been watching a lot of star trek yeah because it's this great retreat like from the real world into like oh gene roddenberry's idea of ideal of the future could still happen you guys uh but yeah but so what i was finishing my yeah, previous sorry. thought yeah, sorry no 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 it's you entirely um was that as far as like sex goes i feel like it's one of those things where like desire overall is something where like almost every need is met in uh, nearly every way within this utopian society that like there's not like necessarily like a drive for sex it's like when people like sense a mutual attraction they are like you know inclined to engage but there's not this like super like horniness of like i am like I have to have this need fulfilled. Well, yeah, because it's, if if you're <laughs> if you're super horny, you can go on the holodeck and just yeah. have sex with whoever you want. Exactly. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, I don't feel like there's like this. Yeah, there's again this drive that like is like this like need that's not being met because it, in this world like every need is met. <laughs> so. I like that everyone also in this world is flawed, right? It's the utopia in some ways, right? But that Picard is flawed, right? Like, yeah, he he's, kills he's, Ensign Lynch, oh, right? Yeah. And he digs And he's out. driven by this, like, absolute revenge. Like, he's, yes, he's, he's just full on Ahab. This, yeah. Full Ahab, which also was a fun thing I looked up, is that, like, I think two years after they making this movie, or within, like, a year or two yeah. of making this movie, he, he did a production of Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. <laughs> like, he's in a Moby Dick movie where he plays Ahab, so... Yes, yes. <laughs> this was his tryout for that. <laughs> this was his trial run. <laughs> and I think that definitely speaks to that second part of, like, trying to, like, better ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's, like, something that, like, no matter, like, how much you have, no matter how much is provided for you, like, every choice you make, every, like, single day, you have the choice to decide like what type of person you want to be what type of person you're going to be and that's something that star trek constantly does of like yeah there's like the conflicts a lot of times are either like external or when they're internal it's usually something about like uh like an internal struggle more so than it is about like again like this uh like need for resources mm -hmm. like this kind of like it's more of like a an existential uh like psychological sort of need yes. as opposed to like any sort of physical need it's really embodying the values of the enlightenment in your own actions yeah, yeah it's it's very much then picard being uh, the most british frenchman ever uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny like just from next gen into this movie and like all the other movies that like yes jean-luc picard i am the most British presently. Yeah. He's like, yes, I'm from France. <laughs> yeah, we don't believe that. Not for one second. Uh, I believe actually <laughs> in the pilot they had him doing a French accent yeah. for a little while and then and they were like, no, no this is not working. You just <laughs> yeah. just be British. No one will care. It's the future. Well, yeah, again, and that's, again, beyond 
like accents. I feel like yeah, there's a world beyond well, any <laughs> accent that would be known because everyone's in space at this. Marina Sirtis in the first like couple seasons was putting on like they wanted her to do an accent, and she's like, well, something besides my normal British accent. And they're like, yeah, we want you to do a future accent, and you just you, you figure out what it is, and that's why Troy talks that way in like the first couple of seasons. <laughs> Where she does have a distinctively odd accent. <laughs> yeah. It's not familiar. <laughs> but I think that, like, again, that the values that this movie has are very much enlightenment, project of the enlightenment. That's where I think it also, like, me record scratches a little bit in terms of, like, it's so, you know, we have references to Moby Dick, to Mark Twain. There's a reference to Mark Twain in there, to Raymond Chandler, the um, noir novelist. Oh, he's listening to opera, right, at yeah. the beginning, that uh, has this kind of stylized lighting, this kind of hard side, chiaroscuro lighting. It's like these very particular values that I are a little bit narrow in terms of what they value, right? That, you know, to be enlightened is to listen to opera, not... Yeah, to, to be enlightened, and that's a very much a Star Trek thing. It's yes. like yeah. to be enlightened yes. is still like a very, um, like, Western Hemisphere version of enlightenment, yes. but also a very, like, rich, white Ri- guy yes. version of enlightenment. Yeah. Like, how many... Well, like, a question. Yes. Like, you know, I'm going riding and... We're going to play yeah. polo in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah there's, tea, there's right? a whole horseback riding scene in Generations that we can talk about. <laughs> yes, there is. You're right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But I think there's also just embedded in Star Trek as a whole this kind of problematic remnants of British colonialism, right? That I was thinking about it. I'm like, why do we need to boldly go anywhere? Why do we have to boldly? And like, why are we going, right? That that's very much kind of a continuation of this colonialist mindset. Manifest destiny. Manifest destiny, right? Even with the prime directive. Even even with like our whole thing is like, we're not going to interfere with other cultures, even though we break the prime directive all the, all time. the time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, we yeah, like, honestly, like, yeah, your yeah. mere presence, like, is already, no matter, it doesn't matter if you're in disguise. It doesn't matter, like, none of that matters. Like, you are an outlying, you are an external force that yeah. is coming <laughs> in. in. We're, we can talk about Schrodinger's cat and the prime directive all day. Yes. <laughs> this would be a, a six hour podcast. But. <laughs> But again, the like it's a strange new world, right? Why can't it just be a new world? But that has to be marked as strange, right? Which again plays into so many narratives about exoticism, ex- exoticism, yeah. and uh, how some people are civilized and some people are savages, right? It's all there's some problematic remnants of that in there. Um, Which you would think after having encountered like the Vulcans, like yeah. you would you would think there'd be kind of like this like self reflection of like oh. We are seen as the savages. Maybe we should like yes. reevaluate our view on how we view other cultures. But it's that we also like it's also less less, it's, it's a spectrum you know? because like you have the Vulcans, which are like one side. You have humanity, which is in kind of the middle. You have the Klingons, which are like super warrior like, and then super emotional versus and, super rational. There's like the Romulans, who are like just an offshoot of the Vulcans. Yeah, like so. Within Star Trek, they do play with those ideologies, but it still is always filtered through the lens of uh, like and, colonialism. Yes, of, and like, that we this like is the, the human right experience one. is like yes. the the, the, the lens one. with which to view yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I feel like that that is something that really, uh, I mean, that's true for all of Star Trek, but um, is is definitely present in this in in First Contact. I, I, because it's about first contact, right? It's about meeting it's about, new yes. people. Like we made a warp flight, and the Vulcans were like, "Oh, maybe they're not as primitive as we thought." Yeah. Yeah. And again, this belief that technology equals uh, intelligence, right? Even in the classifications of calling it the Stone Age or the Bronze Age, right? It's kind of this valuing of technology as a metric for um, a civilization's, you know, advancement. That even that is a really problematic. Remnant well, yeah, because well, even like what we consider to be technology mm-hmm. is something that is like very centered in this in this ideal of uh, this yeah sort of colonialist mentality where um, yeah there are like indigenous cultures who have been using like the yep. exact same methods yep. like for you know hundreds if not thousands of years and they continue to use them because they work better than anything yep. like any <laughs> other alternative. Like there, there are you know things that the like that are not necessarily seen as technology that are actually like now that like and and that's the thing about it is once those things are like quote unquote discovered then that then that becomes like oh now this is valid because we have found some sort of use for it within like the 
thing that we use, like that oh, we value. Like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we, we've we found this like ancient like weaving technique that was used by this you know culture, and now we're incorporating it into how we like Design you know fabricate graphs. like our metals, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and things like that. Where you know those those weird things that like happened to where oh, this is something that was actually like working better than anything that you've come up with so far. You decided to take it from this culture, but now you're like kind of erasing that impact and, or, and and still not choosing to acknowledge it as, you know, the advancement that it is. Yes. Yeah. And that shows up in a lot of next generation episodes. It just does. It's in there. It's in there when you look at it through that lens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's the it's the world we live in. Yep. It is. It is. It reflects the world that we're live that we live in. But I also but going back to the idea of everyone being flawed, I like that the data is really flawed in this, right? His emotion ship allows him to is he gonna actually not you know, like sacrifice uh, humanity to be able to have, to be able to jerk off a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, in order to like have orgasms, can data. <laughs> but, but I love like the line. Will data betray humanity for <laughs> orgasms? Find out next week on the most exciting episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, but I do love the line at the end where he's like, "I did find her offer tempting for a while," and Picard's like, "How long?" He's like. 0.86 seconds which, <laughs> which to an android is an eternity <laughs> yeah. yes yeah he really did for an android it is an eternity he thought yeah. about it yep um so i feel like we haven't talked about uh was we haven't it? talked about lily yet we have not oh. talked about lily who yep. is one of the most badass characters like not just in this movie but in a lot of star trek in yeah general. yes yeah, Alfred Woodard, uh, always welcome. Like, always a welcome. Alfred yes. Woodard is just one of those <laughs> incredible actresses. Can she just yeah. be in everything? Can we just cast her? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But I, I like, uh, one of the things I like about her role is that she plays for people who are not Star Trek fans, right? She plays their lens into this crazy world where, sorry, it's my first ray gun, ha, 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 right? <laughs> yeah. That she's on a, I'm on a spaceship, um, that she... Um, kind of says like, well, tough luck for she. She's the for one who Edson calls Lynch. Edson yeah. Lynch, uh, and she's the one who calls uh, Picard out when he's shooting everyone in the holodeck. He's like, I think you got him. Yeah. And it's kind of overkill. Um, and I really like that. And she calls out, "You broke your little ships," right when he has when Picard has his little tantrum. And that it's these very simple ways of funny ways. When she breaks the little ships, let me just do one more little nerd thing. Yes. Um, it was an accident. Like, this wasn't meant to happen, but the ship that he breaks is the Enterprise C. C, yep. <laughs> which was the ship that was lost in time and, like, was killed, like, defending the Klingons against the Romulans and, like, in Watch uh, Yesterday's Enterprise. If you haven't seen that episode, it's a fantastic. But it's, like, a happy accident that the ship that he destroys is the Enterprise C. Yes. Hmm. yes. Um, I also, yeah, going into what you said as far as her being that lens of, like, the non-viewer, uh, also kind of, being able to reflect Picard's own instability yes. back Absolutely. on him. Yes. Yes. Uh, because, yeah, she is like, uh, she says uh, something like, she, like he says like the people that are, that are on this crew are, you know, used to taking orders from yeah. me or used to following yeah. orders from me. And then she's like, well, I'm sure they're also used to you like, making Your orders making, making sense. sense. Your orders yeah. making sense. And, yeah. and so she's like one of the like, few people who's like outside of the situation enough to not only like recognize like at face value, like what he's doing is like just nonsensical, but also to be able to call him out on it because she's like, you're, I am not under your command. Like no, I I'm not here. am like, not a member of your crew. crew. Like I am not one of your little friends, yeah. as my mom would say. Like, she's like, like, I don't know who this wharf guy is, but the fact that you called him a coward is really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and that she, and that the, Boldness of a, and I think part of what makes her read as a badass to those of us who are Star Trek friends is that you're like, wait, somebody's yelling at Picard. Yeah, Picard's <laughs> always right. Picard is like the moral center of somebody's this yelling at Picard, who's not Guinan. Who's not Guinan, <laughs> right? And it's like yelling, not just you know, kind of like, here, have a beverage, let me talk to you, like, have yeah, because yeah. right? Guinan doesn't need to yell at no. Picard. No, ever. she's like, just I'm thousands of years and... older than you. You're gonna you're listen to idiot. what I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder. I'm just tossing this out there that there. Is a little bit of a pattern of a kind of like magical Negro black woman can like change yeah that's another advice. one of the kind of problematic things yeah that, yeah, yeah. It is like the the trope of the magical 
black woman. Yeah, yeah. playing out here. Um, but that said, she's a really badass character. But she's and so cool. <laughs> and, and Jonathan Frakes says, like, uh, one of the highlights of his entire directing career was just setting up, up a camera and watching Alfre Woodard and Patrick Stewart yell at each other. Just, <laughs> like, just do that scene of, like, the yes. two of them just do that scene was yes. like, like, I didn't even have to do anything. I just pointed a camera and let them go. Yes. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever done in my career. Is Lily going to be in the Picard TV show? Can we somehow, like, oh petition that she can be in the Picard TV show? The line must be drawn. Yeah! <laughs> Picard, blow up the damn the ship! ship. <laughs> uh, we can act this all out on our own time. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, so this is a really this is getting into nitpicking land, but since it is Star Trek and we are nerds, um, that the, we've introduced the idea of time travel that apparently isn't that hard to do. Yeah. Oh, no. They're right? just like, that's, cool, let's just drift into time. <laughs> we're, we're... Like, and when they have to go back, it's like, oh, yeah, we have sensor data that says how the Borg did it. Okay, just recreate that. It's like an afterthought <laughs> that we'll know. get back to our time. <laughs> yeah, no. that's what I was thinking this whole time. I was like, wait, they destroyed the ship that... Yeah. <laughs> that traveled in time. Yep. But they don't seem worried about they it at all. <laughs> no, but they did have an island. Uh, I looked it up, but I can't remember. It starts with a G. Garrett Island or something that they mentioned in it. Yeah, which is, somewhere in North America. They're like just like No, the, this is a different island in the South Pacific where they were going to land to all meet. And then they were going to disperse. Find a, like a quiet, quiet corner place. of North America and stay <laughs> out of history's way. Yes, yeah. exactly. But, yeah, I, but again, I think that does go back to, again, the whole need thing. Where they're just like, yeah, we've got, we've got it. We've, we'll got, techno- we've got the technology thing going. Like, yeah. there's, there's not really anything that we can't do. Ooh, like, we, we have <laughs> replicators on these survival pods. Like, we, we'll be fine. We'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have no problems. We won't bring any diseases back in time. You know, like, not. There's just, it's just gonna work out, hunky dory. <laughs> but that belief in kind of we can techno our way out of any problem problem is definitely something that is a theme throughout uh, Star Trek that I feel is in the age of climate change a little bit dangerous as a <laughs> primary thematic um, but anyway well I mean when you have like but, an antimatter engine but, yeah. Like, <laughs> sure yeah you, but you can literally if, do whatever you want if we're talking about the Star Trek timeline <laughs> yes. we are right now living before the third world war yes so, yes. so yes. we are living like right before or, like humanity basically wipes itself out and then from the ashes of that we I get into mean, the Roddenberry's again maybe, maybe. <laughs> like looking at yeah. the world right now I mean <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna Jean make Robert it to 2063 <laughs> yeah. april 4 2063 yeah i, I also love the uh the idea of what mid 21st century clothing was yes. <laughs> it was like very like muted tones which i i think it's it's an interesting way of them like uh yeah like i could see someone wearing something like that like yeah. just in general because they don't do like that thing that they did in the 80s where they're like everything's gonna be like blown out and like neon and this is what the future is everyone's gonna have like weird like cuts of hair with like blonde and like turquoise (laughs) neon or you're gonna have a jacket that has piping for no no reason reason. so much piping so much piping so yeah I think that they they went understated on like they did which was I think like clothes will be utilitarian and yeah they will be functional yeah I, I have definitely had many uh of my nerdier colleagues be like, did you get that from the next generation set in terms of the clothing that I wear? Because <laughs> I wear stuff that's like asymmetrical lines or whatever. And they'll be like, are you in the next generation? And they meant it as a compliment, but it also was like rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So time travel and then it never comes back. Right. This is some, and then like in, into, is it in, into darkness where they introduce that you can, go from a planet to planet transportation. So why do we even need starships anymore? Like there's some uh, things that they don't really think through when they add in, uh, but which is fine. We can add <laughs> or you can talk in. Star Trek five. What does God need with a starship? <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Vengeful God. <laughs> Strike you down. <laughs> Um, let's see. What other things do we have in here in this movie? I can um, just go through like what's left in my notes. Yeah, um, go for it. 
Uh, so I talked about Frakes like being one of his all-time directing highs. Um, Jonathan Frakes also was like friends with Alfred Woodard like way before she was in this movie. He calls her his godmother, Aww. which is one of my favorite things. Is like like him and Alfred Woodard like old friends, and he like really loves her, and like they're they go back. But um, <laughs> this is a nitpick. Um, dumb nerd thing but when they're setting the self-destruct like everyone is doing their command codes and Worf for some reason has command codes he's not an officer on that ship you are totally oh, yeah. right Worf yeah. is stationed on Deep Space Nine he would have no command codes for the Enterprise E mm, you're right you're right <laughs> um, unless command codes for self-destruct are true across all ships yeah unless you're uh, like a command like a, officer you can right. have command codes to Set the self destruct on a starship, but mm, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> I just love uh, like at the um, there's another fan service thing which is when the Vulcans show up and they do the live long and prosper salute. Mm-hmm. Um, Zephram Cochran tries to do it and he can't, which is a throwback to um, the fact that Kirk could never do the salute, and so that's a thing in Wrath of Khan when Spock is dying and mm-hmm. he gives the live long and prosper and Kirk tries to do it on the glass and he can't. Mm-hmm. Aww. <clears throat> no. Aww. Um, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love that the, the Vulcans show up and they do this whole thing and Zephram Cochran is like introducing the earth and then he turns on the music and they're freaked out and he's like, no, you dance to it. And it would be like, the Vulcans are like, Dancing is highly logical. What what is this dancing nonsense? And why is it Roy Orbison's Ooby Dooby? Like that is not his <laughs> yeah. best song. Even like, if we want to get into like what music has survived into the twenty fourth century, yeah. we could do an entire episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> the choices are a little odd. Uh, I also oh, we didn't up. talk about Zephyr Cochran a whole lot. I mean, oh, yeah. we didn't. Like yeah. um, James Cromwell, who like amazing actor like great in this part is like done a bunch of star trek before this mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I love the idea of Zephyr cochran who's just like an earth guy like he's not even doing this for the betterment of humanity he's like he's trying to make money yeah. to go to a, a caribbean island with naked filled with naked filled women, with naked women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he's kind of a dirtbag i he like he is kind of a yeah. dirtbag yeah. And, and like the whole like point of this movie is like he's struggling with his idea of like what the future sees him as even though he's just like kind of a dirtbag he's like just no i'm just a guy who's trying to like make this thing to make money but the future sees him as like this the, oh there's where your statue is gonna be and like here's the whole Do you think that's how uh history will treat uh, elon musk <laughs> i probably you know what i mean like that there i mean it's our, like people are already like there's already like a unless elon musk of, like, has elon his, can do no wrong unless yeah. elon musk <laughs> in his uh volcano base creates a death ray that <laughs> like i have this whole other thing about elon musk as a bond villain well yeah can... the whole like yeah. selling fire uh flamethrowers to rich people like he's got like electric flamethrowers that he sells to rich people <laughs> like he's really just like He's going to be, like, the fucking, like, weapons dealer for the Purge. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but uh, you'll be, there'll be a high school named after him. Eventually. Yeah. Yes. yeah. 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 Jordy went to Zephram Cochran High School. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. And, but I think it does a nice job of kind of pointing out that these people that we look back in history and, you know, turn, uh, kind of transform. Like canonize in a canonize way. Canonize and transform yeah. into these... Um, you know, like one d- did no wrong figures. It's nice seeing that. Yeah, to see like him actually be like, oh no, he was like a drunk and kind of a dirtbag and like that's but a, a likable coward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? likable coward. But again, everyone's flawed in this world. Yeah, I, I also think that uh, I like that this movie loops to like where the end of the movie is like literally the beginning of like everything as far as Star Trek goes. Uh, I, I thought that was, I like that a lot. Just that concept of closing this loop. Honestly, like if this had been like the very last like Star Trek thing, like I feel like that would have been like a really interesting. Like, I think it would have been, been fine if, if this it, was, if, yeah. especially if this was the last Star Trek movie. Yeah. Um, just end it there. Just end it there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they also, I'm upset that they never made a Deep Space Nine movie. That they never had like a movie mm-hmm. that was set in the Dominion War. Mm-hmm. Like that could have been really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me to one of my other like. Are you upset that they notes. didn't make a Voyager movie? <laughs> 
I don't know. I'm not far enough. I'm only on season five of Voyager right now. Okay, so we can talk I, about that during the recommendations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, you had no Early mind. drafts of the script had the Defiant being destroyed, mm-hmm. and the Deep Space Nine writers were like, uh, no. <laughs> we still need that ship, so, so you can't blow up our <laughs> ship. Um, uh, one of the fair criticisms I saw, and I mean... While we have talked about this as a movie that's like semi-accessible to people who aren't like Star Trek initiates, I think a very fair criticism was from uh, Derek Adams of Time Out who wrote that this movie makes little consensus to non-initiates. Like, if you know absolutely nothing about Star Trek, you might have a little bit of a hard time with this movie. Like, like, we've seen enough of the next generation to like get these characters and to get like the world and all this stuff. But if you're going in absolutely cold... I could see this movie being a little obtuse. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like it's kind of the same, like, uh, like the in-game criticism have the same thing. Like, yeah. this is Star Trek Eight. Like, it's it's one of those things where yes. this is, yeah, yeah, the eighth Star Trek movie. This is Star um, Trek. Do we have so, to introduce who Picard is yeah. in the eighth Star Trek movie? It, it, yeah. yeah, so I don't think that's, like, an entirely fair criticism. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, that's, like, again, going into in-game, and then it's being like, like I never saw I any other Marvel movies. Yeah. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so I I don't think that's an entirely fair criticism considering all of yeah. that. And and that actually this movie propelled the idea of the Borg as a villain to, to enter pop culture mainstream, right? Like people who've never seen Star Trek, if you say the Borg, they have an idea of what that might be. Yeah. Um, in the same way if you said a Vulcan, they might. Yeah. Um, Tom Hanks was considered to play Zephram Cochran. He was actually on board with playing Zephram Cochran because he's a Star Trek fan, but he couldn't do it because he was writing and directing That Thing You Do when they were making this movie. Hmm. That would have been an interesting choice. I don't know if uh, Tom Hanks could have played that dirtbag. I know. I I think Tom Hanks is Yeah, he's just such a lovable, charming (laughs) guy. I don't don't know if he could have played that that character. So I I think that that worked out for the best. Yeah, I don't know if I would... The kind of lovable, cowardly dirtbag is in his acting range. Yeah. <laughs> or that it would just be so off type that, or off character type that it would, we would have a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, my last little note, apart from that, this movie got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert, um, <laughs> is that Jonathan Frakes, as a director, not only is loved by everybody who works with him, like the cast, the crew, everybody is like, Jonathan Frakes is awesome, but he was so efficient. That he became known as Two Takes Frakes. Two Takes Frakes, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have any stats on the movie? I do. Um, this movie has a 7.6 on IMDb. It has a 71 on Metacritic. It has a 93% Rotten Tomatoes and 89% Audience Tomatoes. It had a budget of $45 million, uh, opening weekend of $30 million, and a worldwide gross of $146 million. It made $100 million profit. It wow. made $100 million. Wow. And it was, but also with a budget of 45 is like the biggest budget Star Trek movie that made up to that point. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty awesome. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have some Kevin Bacon. Do we want to do that before or after recommendations? Oh. I think we usually do it before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So so very quick. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart is in. He's the star of this movie, but he's in X Men with Halle Berry, who is in Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Halle Berry is in Cloud Atlas with Tom Hanks, <laughs> who is in Apollo Thirteen with Kevin Bacon. Oh, <laughs> yay! Yes. Way to go! <laughs> All right. Well. When we get back, we're going to have some... Wow. We are going to have some recommendations for you. (laughs) And we're back with some recommendations. I'm going to let my uh, Trekkie friends over here. Uh, I think... Is is Trekkie like... I heard Trekkie is kind of like... Trekkie is good. I, I, there are people who there are some people who are like I'm not a Trekkie I'm a Trekker Trekker like, yeah that's what yeah, there's like, like I, a, I am fine with being called a Trekkie I don't think. <laughs> the fact that we fight over what nerd name we get makes us even nerdier yes. you know like it, it's, it's like no no it's Trekka with an A yeah. <laughs> Trekka <laughs> alright well 
let's go, nerds. What do you got for me? All right. So obviously this is in a really large franchise. So if you like this movie, you might like hundreds of episodes of television. (laughs) I would say a general rule of thumb that I, when I give recommendations about the next generation, is once Riker has a beard, the episode. Yeah, yeah. Don't watch the first season. (laughs) Do not watch the first season. Just don't watch it, or go back and watch it after you've learned to love it, and you can go back and watch the first season. Um. I would also say that for Voyager, another rule of thumb is like just start when Jerry Ryan won seven of nine. That character shows I, up. I, and just, I, I disagree, but I will. Yeah, we can have a uh, whole okay. nerd. We can have fest. a whole other discussion about that. <laughs> um, I would say also, obviously, the upcoming TV show Picard. Yeah. Uh, would be something to watch. Um, and if you like space opera, I actually would not recommend the TV show, but I would recommend the book series, The Expanse, um, The Expanse series, because it's very much in this kind of space opera, space operatic mode. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I just I feel like I have to share this. So the meowing that we did at the top of the show, I thought I my family was the only one who meowed the <laughs> Star Trek Next Generation theme song because we did it together in the car all the time. <laughs> but apparently not. There are like dozens and dozens of people There's doing so this on YouTube. Like, There's yeah. so much. <laughs> but uh, I feel like. That there's like a straight line between me watching Star Trek as a kid growing up in like a poor rural area. I remember the first Star Trek episode I ever saw. We were at um, like a family friend's house and I found a fossil that day. And then I got bit by a dog and then I watched (laughs) Pretty Big Bite by a Dog and then watched um, Star Trek. And so it was like the past very specific moment in the present and then the future all in one day. And... Like the, I'm going back to work after we do this podcast and I'm working on stuff that we're going to pitch ideas to NASA, right? So there's like a direct line from me having this influence as a kid to what I do as a grown-up. Wow. So. Yeah. And if you like, there are so many accounts of people who work for NASA, people yes. who work at JPL, people yes. who, like, who were so inspired by Star Trek yes. as kids. Yes. So it's, it goes back. Um, so if you like this movie, um, if you specifically like the Borg, um, check out The Best of Both Worlds, um, which is Season 3, Episode 26, and Season 4, Episode 1 of The Next Generation. Um, check out Q Who, which is the introduction of the Borg, Season 2, Episode Such 16. Um, check out I, Borg, Season 5, Episode 23. Um, if you like the Borg Queen... Um, check out Voyager season four, episode five, fifteen, Dark, Dark Frontier parts one and two, where Seven of Nine kind of uh, confronts the Borg Queen. Um, if you just want to see Patrick Stewart being in an unbelievably great actor in Star Trek, watch The Inner Light episode five, season five, episode twenty-five. Is that there are three lights? No. There are three lights. No, no, no. That, that's a different. This is uh, the inner light is the one where Picard is scanned by a probe, and like in order to like yes. learn the way that this civilization was, he lives an entire lifetime within that civilization, and like within Oof, his mind. That's such a. It's a one of the best pieces of sci-fi writing and acting in the <laughs> world. Like if if you're not even going to watch any other Star Trek, watch the inner light. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are my Star Trek recommendations um there is also a uh, little 20 minute uh making of a featurette documentary on youtube about this movie mm-hmm. um where they talk a lot to jonathan frakes and all the other people involved but just for general recommendations if you are a stitcher premium subscriber paul f tompkins has a new podcast called the neighborhood listen um where they improvise as these people like who live within the neighborhood and they use an actual neighborhood app and like posts from that and they just riff on those things as if it's within their own neighborhood. If you're not on Stitcher Premium, um, Super Ego Season 5 is dropping for free um, on all of your podcast catchers. It'll probably be fairly... It'll probably be over by the time this releases, but go back and listen yeah, to yeah, it. Okay, yeah. But the, <laughs> by the time we recorded this, Super Ego Season 5 was out. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and listen to that. Um, let's see. What you got for us? Recommend we got space stuff. Um, Saga. I probably recommended it before. Um yeah, Brian K. Vaughn uh writing, Fiona Staples doing art. Um they have finished like the entire first half of the series. I believe they're still on hiatus. I I think they're like on like a full like a full year hiatus. Um so 
They may be, there may be more news by the time this comes out, but um, if you haven't read any of that, go back and read the first half of that. Um, it's just, yeah, it's one of the, it's what Star Wars wishes it could be. Yes. Like, it really is. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, it, the gra- it's, like, it's it's not only what Star Wars wishes it could be, it's also one of those things that, like, redefines graphic novels for yeah. me, in a way. It was like, when I read Saga the first time, I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Yeah, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's very, like, grown up, it's adult, it is, um, like, more than one black person in space, <gasps> like, you know? <laughs> what? They're, like, queer people and, queer like... Queer people exist in space. Yeah, and, queer like, people, but trans also... people. It's, like, it's, like, it's, it's... When you have an, an, an infinite... First of all, the infinite expanse of your imagination. And second of all, when you add that to the infinite expanse of space, like, Star Trek does... Or Star Wars does, like... You know, there, there's some fun stuff in there. It's interesting. And they are, sure, they're limited by, like, you know, filmmaking, like, the constraints of filmmaking, whereas comics are, like, in animation, you can do really anything. anything. Yep. Uh, and so it does it. It does anything. It's like, mm. yeah, we have these different characters who are, like, different species. And, like, there's it's, it's all just, like crazy madness like but you get like a romeo and juliet story of like an like different sides of an interstellar war yeah and it's it's a beautiful beautiful story yeah it's extremely well written the art is gorgeous um can't wait. Yeah, so check that out. <laughs> Thank you. And before, uh, when we were chatting before, you also had recommended to me, which I think we should do, is the LeVar Burton podcast. LeVar Burton oh, Reads. Oh, LeVar Burton Reads. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Like, if you're not listening to that, like... Which not. So oh, yeah. If, if you're not listening to LeVar Burton Reads, you're, you have a problem. And also, if you are a, a Star Trek person and you're on Twitter and you're not subscribed to Swear Track, you're doing oh, Twitter yeah. wrong. <laughs> uh, Swear Trek is just an account that does, like, memes, like Star Trek GIFs, but they will animate over like what the people are actually saying with some sort of profanity yeah and it is one of the funniest things you will see in your life (laughs) swear track is brilliant well yeah well uh thanks for listening uh i hope things went i think things went pretty smoothly for you know our first time being uh, back on mic being back in the saddle yeah you know we got we got our vibe going again it's like this will be an everlasting love. You know? <laughs> uh, and so thank you all for listening and uh, check out Picard, which was probably about when we'll be releasing this episode. So check that out. That should be out by now. And you can follow us online. We have a website. Uh, it's IWITWT.com. We're on Twitter at IWITWT, on Instagram at that same tag. Uh, you can find both Colin and I individually. I am at Catharticus. I am at Colin Munch. Yep, yep, yep. That's us. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Engage. <laughs> Make it so.